0: Well, good morning. Uh, again, uh, it's a joy. I feel so blessed to be before you again this in the second hour today. And I'm sorry that we had this break, uh, but perhaps it's uh, in the Lord's providence as we certainly cling to that truth. Well, I uh, just if we could bring up that next uh, slide just to give us a sense of where we've come in the previous three sessions. Uh, kind of look on the overhead. We've walked through uh, certainly this amazing mystery of the church. Uh, think about, uh, just as Pastor was preaching this morning, about what happened at Pentecost, this amazing beginning of this new covenant work, and it was uh, Christ's church. So we spent the first session in that. The next one, we looked at uh, the church government here at Hope and what it looked like and then spent time just in considering the biblical Christianity's doctrinal truths. And then the last session, which took up the whole session, is we looked at the biblical doctrines that hope stands on. So by God's grace, I hope that we, hope that we have established the foundations upon which this body of Christ stands. And today, uh, what um, by his grace will be the last of the sessions it's kind of like, I was trying to think of it the way I would explain it. It's kind of like uh, J. Vernon McGee. I don't know if I'm an old guy, so I remember when J. Vernon McGee used to preach. And he had this saying, you know, he says, this is where the rubber meets the road. So it's kind of like that, is that we're going to, not that any of this shrouded in any kind of secrecy, but we're going to look at what does it look like uh, at hope, what does it look like to be a member of this body of Christ And we'll spend time looking at leadership and also um, maybe we can get the next slide, Peter, uh, on there, just an an overview of what this fourth session is going to look like. So I just say, what does ministry at Hope look like? And we'll go through uh, the first part will be a calendar of our ministries. It's just to give an understanding of all that takes place at Hope. And then the second uh, session will be – something that I've really has blessed me to try to look at this because it's a picture of our leadership. We are blessed today to, to see Chris uh, stand before the church and to receive blessings of the church and to be set aside as an elder here. And I don't know if all of you fall in the same camp, but I can tell you honestly, I don't always appreciate all that our leaders do at Hope. We're, we're a relatively small church, but just in the years that my wife and I have been here, we've been so blessed to see all that our pastor and elders do. So we're gonna look at that. And number three uh, really is important because we hope to address in this what we should be about in terms of supporting these leaders and how we might do that. And I hope from this some very practical lessons may come. So if we can go to the uh, slide Number uh, four, we can see, certainly, uh, again, thinking that this will be for new members, but this is our schedule of uh, ministries that we have at Hope. It becomes a very wonderfully full week of bringing glory to the Lord as we gather together to study his word, to encourage uh, one another, and to love one another. And so we'll look at the next one, uh, the fifth uh, slide and begin this walking through um, the three-part thing about what does ministry at HOPE look like. And so this section really is entitled uh, Elder-Led uh, Ministry to Church Members. And so what I'm trying to do in this, what by God's grace, is just to, and I keep saying that we're going to pull the curtain back. It's not like it's hidden, but just to spend some time and having walked next to these elders and our leadership here, just gleaning from all the investment that they make into us, the body of Christ here, it's really amazing. I want to read, to begin with, uh, if we look and consider what's the purpose statement of our church and, indeed, of Christ's church. And it's this wonderful verse that we know so well, Acts 2.42. And it was at Pentecost. And you think about the event at Pentecost. It was the new covenant beginning. It's a covenant that God established not in the law, but this is a covenant that was established in the blood of Christ, in the broken body of Christ. It's a covenant of grace. And so we see in this, in that very second chapter, this picture of a purpose for Christ's church, what it would be about. In reading, it, we're so familiar with these words, but it's where we see... They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And in this verse, we see four points that we see uh, anchored in God's word. The first of these that the church would be about, it's what hope is about. It's a teaching biblical doctrine. The second is encouraging fellowship among church believers. The third is observing the Lord's Supper. And the fourth is is encouraging church members to pursue an active prayer life. So as we walk through each one of these and take some time to consider them, and we begin with the very first one, it's the preaching and teaching of biblical doctrine. Preaching and teaching are integral parts of the role of an elder-led pastorate. Pastors are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their congregations and to equip them to live out their faith in Christ. Pastors also play an important role in mentoring and guiding their congregations as they grow in faith. Now, I want to make sure we understand, I have in that the word pastors, plural, and that's the sense that we have all of our elders, the four elders that we, by God's grace, uh, serve us in this church. They are all considered as pastors. Our pastor, Ed, is our preaching pastor and usually is the one in the pulpit. But all of these men serve as pastors, under-shepherds of Christ caring for us. Hope's leaders faithfully practice, this is so important, expository preaching and teaching of biblical doctrine so that its members, us, may be thoroughly grounded in their faith. The words of Paul that we know so well in Ephesians 4.12, as he gave and as he wrote and records and we have for us, and from Ephesians 4 we read and he that is God gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. And so it's so critical to understand how our elders how they how they feed us truly the sheep of the Lord. And they do this and I want to spend a little bit of time on what we've referred to as expository Preaching, expository teaching. And I'd like to just make a point. We've heard this term. We've heard pastors say it. We've heard our elders say it. And probably many of us who love to walk in this, what we know as the Reformed faith, the true gospel faith. We hear this expository thing. I want to just make a point of what's different about expository preaching versus two other types of preaching that so many evangelical churches walk in. So expository preaching differs from topical preaching and textual preaching. Topical preaching starts with a topic and then identifies the biblical text that addresses that topic. Typically, the texts are not studied in depth, that is scriptures, but are used to support the topic. Now, textual preaching is biblical text is used as a springboard for discussing a particular point. Again, the identified text is used as support material for the point being made. But expository preaching, what's the difference of it? Starts with a passage of scripture. This morning, our pastor, I believe we went all the way through three verses. (laughs) And those verses were the anchor of what our pastor, the feeding of the sheep, today you and i came from him being anchored in those verses and so expository preaching starts with a passage of scripture and then proceeds to study the grammar the context and the historical setting of that passage to understand the author's intent there's two words and perhaps you've heard these that i think bring even great greater clarity to these different types of preachings and i believe bring such glory to the leading of our elders and our teachers here. And these are the words exegesis and eisegesis. Now, let me just read the notes I've got here. Exegesis and eisegesis are two conflicting approaches in Bible study. Exegesis is the exposition or explanation of a text based on a careful objective analysis. The word exegesis literally means, this is so important, to lead out of. That means that the preacher, the teacher, is led to his conclusions by following the text. Exegesis is to take the word of God that's been given to us, passed down as the Holy Spirit's led men to pen these exact words, the exact words of God. And so exegesis, which is what our pastor does, is taking strictly from this word and bringing from this word the truth that he teaches us. The opposite approach to scripture Teaching is eisegesis, which is the interpretation of a passage based on a subjective, non-analytical reading. The word exegesis literally means to lead into. Listen so closely to the difference, which means the preacher injects his own idea into the text, making it mean whatever he wants it to mean. How important that is. Exegesis is taking from the Word of God to bring the truth, Jesus is taking a topic, uh, uh, a textual preaching, and trying to put it into the Word of God and trying to pull the Word of God to support that. We are blessed because here we have expositional preaching. So I just want to make that so clear. And if anyone ever asks, what makes hope different from maybe your church that you're going to, to be able to explain these teachings come from the Word? Well, the next one we'll look at here is that, uh, so slide number seven, is in their capacity as the preachers and teachers of biblical doctrine, our elders serve as leaders and shepherds of the church. And there's some points I'd like to just make here that to me are so glorious. And I want to make sure I'm talking a lot about men, uh, very particularly for men that, that, we've, that we know and love and trust. But our boasting is in Jesus Christ. Our boasting is the work of the Spirit of God in raising these men up. So it's not these men that we boast in. We boast in our God, and we boast that he's led us to be a part of this glorious part in which we're fed so well. But in addition to the feeding, there's other aspects in which these men, and certainly the deacons are involved in leadership as well. But So the first of these is to guide the church towards holy living. And these leaders that God's blessed us with, they're responsible for guiding and teaching the congregation on how to live their lives in accordance with God's word. I could ask you to raise your hands, but I think it'd be unanimous. Are we encouraged to live this way from the teaching and what we hear, not just here in the pulpit on Sundays, but in our small groups, in our men's groups? It has been something and I have been here for a little over two years. And again, to God's glory, this is what we've learned here. This is what, when we gather, this is what we come under, is to live lives to bring glory to our God, to not shame him in any way. So that's certainly such an important role that our elders to God's glory fulfill so well. The next item in this is to provide spiritual and personal care for the congregation Serving in an elder-led pastorate brings with it many challenges. This is the point I really want to make through this, too. Again, about talking about what our leaders bear. And they are so good to protect us from a lot of the burdens that they bear, the challenges, the spiritual warfare that takes place, because they want to protect us from that. But they walk in this, and they are here to serve the sheep of God. And so we need to be aware of this thing of providing spiritual, personal care for the congregation. Some of the most common challenges include, and listen closely, developing and maintaining relationships with members in our congregation, managing finances and providing spiritual guidance to your congregation. I want to encourage us all to love these men, to make sure that these men know that we support them and we want to cooperate with what we see in them being led by the Spirit of God we see in them walking in the wisdom of God. So let us not be an encumbrance. (laughs) Let us not be a burden to that. But should those needs come up, they come alongside of us, and they walk with us through these uh, trials that we may endure. The next one is to provide benevolent care for the needy, and hope is about the business of ministering to those in need. This includes not only sharing the gospel, but also providing for physical needs, food, clothing, and shelter, as necessary and appropriate. So as we continue on going back to the beginning of Acts 2, uh, 42, and to look at the points that are part of uh, the statement concerning uh, the church, Christ's church, and certainly our church, three more points to come from that. So the first of those is that um, the very first one, of course, was uh, biblical teaching. The next was to encourage fellowship among church members. And here hope shall be a place of fellowship where members can be devoted to one another and honor one another. Let me just walk through these slowly. Because of the leadership that, again, to God's glory that we are under here, we are a place of fellowship. Do you love fellowship? I love fellowshipping with people. I'm sorry that all the men weren't able to be here yesterday morning. We had a crusty old guys, we got together for breakfast as we do once a month, and it was joy. It was a joyful time of men coming and speaking about, always about Christ. We love him above everything else, and we begin to love one another. And so this thing of fellowship is where members can be devoted to one another and honor one another, where we instruct one another, where we can be kind and compassionate to one another, where we can encourage one another. And most importantly, to love one another. I think I mentioned this before. We are commanded to love one another. And I love getting to know my brothers that I might love these men. And it's a love in Christ because we see in them what the Lord's done in their lives and we see a reflection in our life. Well, the next point in this is that certainly this uh, mission uh, statement for the body of Christ, for the church of the Lord Jesus And for hope is to observe the Lord's Supper. And hope shall be a place where believers can observe the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's death, and shed blood on believers' behalf. The concept of breaking bread here also carries the idea of having meals together, another example of fellowship. But if you're like me, I love once a month we come to the Lord's table. And I love the time that's taken with that. Our pastor who... comes and ministers typically at that is so good to recall what it means it's not a ceremony of any type it's calling us to remember the one who came as, as Pastor Ed preached so well this morning who came and set aside his rightful stand in heaven stepped out of heaven to come and put on human flesh and to go to a cross and die to shed innocent blood for the guilty to die for us So we're a place where we rejoice in coming to the Lord's table and we do that once a month. The last point in this again is to encourage church members to pursue an active prayer life. Hope shall be a place that promotes prayer, teaches prayer, and practices prayer. I'm up here and so uh, I tend to want to be honest with you and I've shared with the men I'm not I don't feel that I'm a strong man of prayer. But I'm going to tell you, being around these men, being around these leaders, leaders have encouraged me to endeavor to be a man of prayer. And it's the heart of this church. I'm afraid, you know, as a Christian, as someone saved by God's grace, and we're called to pray without ceasing. We know what the word tells us. But we can sometimes... I can sometimes take that in a light sense and not put the God-redeeming, glorifying heart into prayer, but that's not what we're taught here. We have a man, we know our pastor, Ed, we know of elders, and we are called to be men and women of prayer, and they encourage us to do that. So this is a real quick picture of what uh, hope is from, from that standpoint and what, our, uh, what the all of hope is centered in based on these statements here. Well, let's look at the next thing, and um, it's how we as church members support our leadership. And so we've had an understanding in here of how our leaders serve us. And so I just said on the overhead and here, I said, it's not just pastors and church leaders who have a responsibility to their church. The church members also have a responsibility to their leaders. And in putting this together, being very convicted by how easy it is to come and rely on our elders, upon our leaders, and, and to look to them for those needs we have. And when Joe has a need, I'm quick to let one of my elders know and uh, say come fix it <laughs> and, uh, and be able to see, here someone that comes along and supports me. But the reciprocal of that must be true too. As our elders, as our leadership team invest in us, and it's an investment, I want to call us to think about how much do we invest in them. That's really what this point is. It's church members' support of church leadership. And I think the picture we have in this, it's from Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians. If I can read that, I think I've got it on the overhead. So Paul says, But we request of you, brethren, listen to these words so carefully, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you may esteem them very highly in love because of their work and live with peace, live in peace with one another. Paul writing who, in Paul we know established the churches. He would call elders in those churches. And so Paul is writing from just that man, a mentor to so many of these elders. And he's calling to the church as he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. But we request to you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And I love this, these words, that you esteem them very highly. That's the call for us as members of this church, to love our elders and to esteem them and to come alongside and say, we're standing with you. I'm guilty of not doing that very often, but how important I believe that is. I've got a note in here. I just said many churches lose dedicated pastors and ministers because they feel neglected and unappreciated. I, uh, by God's grace, served for a number of years in Texas in the smallest little country church. All the members could fit right up here. (laughs) It wasn't something I pursued, but I was called to that. So when I... Read this, even in that small setting, my heart goes back to times of aching for the sheep that were in that church. And I know we have godly men to God's glory, and we need to esteem them. We need to come alongside and just say, let me walk with you. Is there anything I can pray specifically for you? Is there anything I can commit to help you with? I can tell you again from that experience, there's nothing more blessing for a man endeavoring to serve Christ's sheep than to know that the church is standing with him. So it's so important for that. The next point in this is to cooperate with. Let me back up a minute. That verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, I was fascinated. I haven't considered this verse very much before. Look the way Paul ends that. He writes about loving and esteeming your, uh, your leaders uh, who teach you, who give you instruction. And look at the last little part of that says, live in peace with one another. I believe that's a key in esteeming our leaders is we're called to love one another, to live in peace with one another. And not that that doesn't take place at Hope. Every bit of experience that we have here is a demonstration of that. But how wonderful is that? Is that we? I think that's another thing that I believe an under shepherd to Christ would love loves to see in Christ's people is that they love and care and serve for one another. We haven't done it here, not since we've been here. But if you want to read something and study about how this is done, study the one another's in God's word. There's many one another's. Serve one another, care for one another, encourage one another, love one another. If we work, endeavor to do that, it will not only bring glory to the God that we serve, but it will honor these men that stand with us. The next part then is to cooperate with and support church leaders. In Hebrews 13, 7, we read the writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So we're to follow uh, the church leader's direction as long as their leadership is consistent with Scripture. I've got a point in here if you don't. Agree, pray with them instead of criticize them. I came across a little saying. It's not mine, but I thought it was pretty cute. This saying from a commentary said uh, along this whole line concerning, you know, if we see things that our leaders do that we're wondering why are they doing this rather than being critical of them, this little saying was let God deal with it. The Holy Spirit can do a much better job than we can. So pray for them if you have those type issues. The next part, and I think to me at least, uh, in humility before the Lord and before you, this was the most important thing. And again, we're looking at, at, and I wanna use this word, there is a sense of responsibilities for us, the congregation, the members of uh, Christ's body here, the members of hope, things that we might do for our leaders, for our elders, for our deacons, So this is to pray for godly wisdom, and they're standing in spiritual battles. The spiritual battles pastors and church leaders face are very difficult. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Paul urges believers to pray for people in positions of authority. Paul writes there to young Timothy, First of all, then I I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, For kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And I just have a note myself here. I said, imagine the feeling of support, encouragement, and strength that's imparted to a church leader again when he knows his people are praying for him, standing shoulder to shoulder with him in spiritual warfare. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against the principalities in the heavenly places. We battle against an enemy that, first of all, hates our Savior and our Redeemer, but he hates the church. He hates everything the church stands for. And that evil one will come and will certainly be attacking the leaders of a church. I trust I can speak for every one of us to say there is nothing more heart-wrenching to us to see a leader of a church, fall in sin and despair. It brings such shame on the name of Jesus Christ. It makes me tremble to see that. It makes me tremble to think that, Lord, may I never, never, ever do such a thing. So we need to be and stand in prayer and pray for these leaders that we have over us. And so I, this part here is that my comment is how can members of HOPE and this is a word that I hear often from Pastor Ed and from our elders, intentionally. How can we pray intentionally for our leaders? Again, being just honest with you, my wife and I, together we pray. We pray certainly at the time we gather for meals and stuff. And, and I pray on my own in the morning. And my prayer can generally be a very general prayer for leadership. What I'm trying to encourage you, as I've been encouraged in this, is to pray intentionally. There's certainly nothing wrong with praying general prayers for our leadership. But I think there's a sense, a picture of this that we have in the book of James. And this morning I was thinking about as Chris came and was uh, truly set apart to serve as an under-shepherd of Christ in in a new and unique way here. And how many of the people that prayed prayed for wisdom for Chris and prayed for wisdom for the leaders? And let me read from James 3.17. James writes such wonderful words we know so well as we pray for wisdom for our leaders. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And I think there's five points in this I'd like to just point out about how we can take from this verse to pray intentionally for our elders here. Number one, having to do with that word pure, it is that we, that they may walk pure in their conduct, be blameless above reproach. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy as an overseer, must be above reproach. I wanna say again, we live in a time of great spiritual warfare in this land. I keep thinking that the warfare that's in the heavens is spilling over to the earth. We are seeing things in the earth that we view in the natural realm that are not normal. They're not logical, they're depraved. They're things that frighten us. And so, the very whatever is going on in the heavenly realms with the princes and the principalities in the heavenly places, they will be about attacking the leaderships in the church. Again, they want to bring shame. So may we pray for our leaders, our elders, that they walk—not that they don't—but pray that they live their lives above reproach. The second word in this in this verse from James is that they be peaceable and gentle. And what I—it struck me in this is that to pray for these leaders is to pray that they be peacemakers. There are things in church, in church in the body of Christ, we're people and we have issues. And sometimes while we are to love one another, it doesn't mean that we always like one another. Is that okay? <laughs> I think we come up with that. But our heart is to love one another. But that's the thing for our elders is to pray that they be peacekeepers in the midst of whatever may come to challenge their authority and their stand in this place. Let us pray for that. The next word in this comes from that they be reasonable. And I think the picture here is that we might pray for Christ under shepherds to serve the sheep with a servant's heart. From 2 Timothy chapter 2, we read, Paul again writing, and the Lord's servant, that is what these elders are. It's what our deacons are. They are the servants of the Lord. They've been raised up not by man. They've been set apart by the spirit of the living God. They've been called to this walk. They've been faithful to not turn from it, but to take it and to walk in this. And so again, in Second Timothy 2, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, Be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. You read that verse and think about how you individually, how I might respond to that. And this can be a challenge when people challenge me. And certainly our leaders are confronted with these things at time. The fourth in this is that they would be full of mercy and give evidence of good fruit, And again, from the book of James, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It's to pray for these leaders that they walk in humility before God. They acknowledge that they depend upon the wisdom that comes from on high to bring about what Christ would have for his church here. And the last of these is that they would have the spirit of the apostles. This picture of being unwavering and without hypocrisy. And from 2 Corinthians 2, 17, Paul writing, for we are not like many. Listen to the words that Paul writes here. and certainly how true, how blessed we are with our leadership here. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul's writing about men who would come and to preach and teach the truth of God's word. And I love in that where he says they are not peddling the word of God. When we come here, and I know as we walk under these men's leadership, we see the time that they invest in bringing teachings and to lead us into this walking before God to bring glory to him. So again, these are very five specific things based on James 3.17 that I just would encourage you to consider that verse from James as you are called, have a heart to lead uh, to pray for our leaders. Well, with that, let's look at some of the other instruction that comes from our leaders about how we are then to live. And the first of these is that uh, there's four points in this. That's the heart of the leadership here at Hope is to live lives that bring glory to God. So first of all, whether, and that verse, of course, comes from 1 Corinthians 10. As I was writing this down, I was thinking, how many times have I heard Pastor Ed from this pulpit recite 1 Corinthians chapter 10? And it's certainly a call for all of us to whatever we do, everything that we do to bring glory to God. So Hope's leadership team believes that all members are true believers in Jesus Christ and should walk by the Spirit in such a manner as not to bring a reproach upon their Lord and Savior. The next point is Hope's leadership team believes that it is the obligation of every member as a true believer in Jesus Christ to witness by life and by word to the truths of the Holy Scriptures and to seek to proclaim the gospel to all the world. We are encouraged by this every, I think every Lord's day when our pastor brings a message is to be gospel bearers, to be the ones that are never ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ, and what a call that is for us. I don't know if you're like me, but when the world is out there, when I have even someone who, by God's grace, you have an opportunity that you want to begin to to share the gospel, but you sense a thing of confrontation, and I can back up from that, and yet here, we're encouraged to never be ashamed of that gospel. We are encouraged to never be ashamed of the name of Christ, So that's the call that the pastors put upon us. The next is that hope's leadership teams believe that it's the responsibility of all members as true believers in Jesus Christ to remember the ministry of the Lord in prayer and support it with their means as the Lord has prospered them. Once again, called to be prayer men of women, men and women of prayer. The last point in this is hope's leadership teams believe that every member, as true believers in Jesus Christ, as has a spiritual gift which should be used to edify the body of Christ. Pastor Ed mentioned this just before as we began this second hour. And we're going to spend some time. In fact, it's the next segment of this. It's identifying and utilizing the spirit, believer's spiritual gift. And again, uh, kind of reiterating what I mentioned before, yesterday morning at the men's breakfast, that was the topic of discussion was the gifts. And we had so much wonderful discussion about that God has gifted every one of his people. And that the truth is that the joy that we know in walking with Christ, the joy that comes from honoring him is walking out in this gift that he has given to us. It was shared yesterday that uh, that verse, wonderful verse from Ephesians 2.10. We know... Ephesians two eight and nine, well, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works that any should boast. And verse two, Ephesians two ten says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The truth is in that, is that everyone that the Lord for his good purpose in that alone has raised taken from darkness into his marvelous light. That to that person, man and woman, each one, because he has made us into his workmanship, he has given a gift that we might serve and honor him and bring glory to him. And I'm excited because here at Hope, there's even, I don't want to say it's a renewed interest, but it's an emphasized teaching on these gifts. So how important it is that we endeavor to pursue and make sure that we're making use of the gift that God's given us. Well, I've got some text here. I've got it in the overhead, but I'd like to read it. Just a general introduction to this thing on identifying and utilizing the believer's spiritual gift. Identifying our spiritual giftedness can be accomplished in various ways. Spiritual gift tests or inventories, while not to be fully relied upon, can help point us in the direction of where our gifting might be. Confirmation from others also gives light to our spiritual giftedness. Other people who see us serving the Lord can often identify a spiritual gift in us that we might take for granted or not recognize. Prayer is also important. This is so important. The one person who knows exactly how we're spiritually gifted is the gift giver himself the Holy Spirit. We can ask God to show us how we are gifted in order to better use our spiritual gifts for His glory. Perhaps the best way to discover your gift then is not by taking a test. They didn't have such means in the early church and people discovered and used their gifts just fine. Rather, if you get involved in the lives of others in your church, and love as Jesus commanded, then you will discover your gift. Hope's pastor and elders are eager to help disciple church members in the discovery and use of their spiritual gifting. A spiritual gift is an expression of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers which empowers them to serve the body of Christ, the church. How many of us have, through the years, taken tests to see what gift we may have. I've done that, and it never came out what I wanted. (laughs) I think that was a picture of the problem right away. And yet I think over these years, uh, for me, it's been 43 years amazingly, what I have seen in the body of Christ is just as this note speaks of here, and as Pastor Ed mentioned earlier, and we spoke about it yesterday at the men's thing, these gifts are discovered as we come in fellowship. If you don't if we won't fellowship, then I don't know that it's going to be very difficult to recognize it because I believe in my own life whatever gifting to God's glory that any of us may have is typically recognized by other men, other brothers and sisters in Christ. And they come and say, I think I see in you. An ability to do this to God's glory. And for me, it scares me to death. <laughs> I can't do that. And yet, I think that's the picture of recognizing within the body. So I just encourage, I know, we're a church that loves fellowship. There's so many ways to do that here. Certainly, in the Lord's day, we have wonderful fellowship, but it's very important, I think, to be in small what I call small groups. We have Pastor Ed mentioned this Thursday they're going to have the last small group for the year at their home. We have the Bella Vista. The ladies have small groups that meet. And that's where the gifts come out. And it's where I think it's so important for us if we see gifting, we perceive gifting in one another, in a brother, or a sister in Christ, to come alongside of them and encourage them, um, not just to bring potato salad next time for the, for the fellowship, but to see what they might uh, bring to the body of Christ to bring encouragement to that. Well, I want to quickly, I think we're doing okay on time here this morning. Uh, as a result of yesterday, um, in fact, it was Brother Phil brought some good uh, questions concerning gifting, so I'd like to have to walk through these quickly just for a sense of time. I want to have uh, some time for questions. But let's just walk through, as Phil had gleaned uh, from some resources, five most frequently asked questions about spiritual gifts. So the first one is, do Christians receive only one gift? The answer was, most likely each Christian has a unique blend of several gifts, not just one. The second one is, what do Christians need to know about spiritual giftedness? So the first one is so glorious. I love this. Salvation is charisma. That is the unmerited free gift of God. How many know Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death. But what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the truth. It's the greatest gift that we've received. It's the gift of being set apart to our Lord and Savior. The next one is every believer has received a spiritual gift. It's spiritual in source and nature. Uh, I've got scriptures up here, and I know we're going through these quickly, but understand that if the Lord's called you to himself, has set you apart to be his own, to bring honor and glory to him, he's gifted you in a way for the church to build and edify the body of Christ. So let's endeavor to seek, first of all, like I said earlier, with the note mentioned earlier to pray that we might understand that gifting. The Lord's will, not man's, is the basis for who receives what gift. Spiritual gifts are diverse. No two are the same. Spiritual gifts are not emphasized in the listing of qualities for church leaders. And the kind of spiritual gifts believers receive do not necessarily indicate their level of spirituality. How important that is is that sometimes we think we can never esteem to walk in a gift and yet if you have in your heart I tried to share this yesterday and again this is kind of a it's a personal testimony if you have a zeal in your heart to serve God in a certain way and I use that word zeal very intentionally it's something that's stirred within you and I know in my own life uh the zeal I had in my heart as a young believer, it was frightening because I think of Brother Pat shared these things. It's okay if I talk about you, brother. <laughs> I love Pat's heart. He had shared with the church before that he has a difficult time standing before people sometimes. It isn't. He's a very capable young man for sure. But he's endeavored to walk in that because he has a zeal in his heart to serve Christ in that. In my own life, somebody recognized something in me of God's glory that it did. It frightened me. I can't do that. It was to teach, to teach God's word. I thought I can't do that. Well, he was persistent. And so (laughs) the very first Sunday school class I ever taught, I took on the book of Revelation. (laughs) (laughs) You, you
1: Wow.
0: It didn't take long to realize, no, I still can't do that. (laughs) So to God's glory, I'm just trying to encourage everyone. If you have a a stirring in your heart, and it may seem like I can never do that. (laughs) Nothing in my natural abilities do I see resonating with that. Please be encouraged that it's the Spirit of God stirring this in your heart. And come to an elder. Come; These are men that walk in the giftedness to God's glory and say, I'm afraid. I'm frightened, but can you help me with this? <laughs> right. So I think it's so important to understand that. Well, real quickly then. Uh, the third point is how can Christians identify their spiritual gift? Uh, good points here. Believing that the Lord uniquely gifts individuals, one should focus more on a multifaceted gift than on multiple gifts. Amen to that. Spiritual gifts will be used most effectively in context of the local church where other believers will recognize and comment on one's spiritual giftedness. I hope by God's grace we've made that point today is how important fellowship is to be able to nurture that gift. Personal inclination and observations of others will lead one to a fruitful ministry. Quickly, number four is how should Christians utilize their spiritual giftedness they should use their gifts to build up the church and serve one another. That's what the gifts are for. They're not for us. We spoke about uh, in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe, about the Bemis seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and talked about the time when all believers will stand before our Redeemer and our Savior and give account for how faithful we've been to the call he's put in our life. And if you remember, many things are burned up as wood hay, and stubble. So we don't pursue these gifts for our well-being. It's not to pat Joe on the shoulder. It's to bring glory to the one that received us, and it's to work to build up and encourage the body. It's for one another. It's all giving out, not receiving back. Number five, uh, what errors should Christians avoid in exercising their spiritual gifts? Self-edification. Rather than edification of others, self led rather than spirit led self exaltation, rather than using one gifts for the Lord's glory. Amen to those, certainly. Well, we are at the point, I think we can um, kind of pull this to an end. I do have a listing here of uh, some of the gifts that have been identified from God's Word. Uh, if anyone is here today, um, and really is wondering about what their gifting may be. This is a, it's probably not a complete list of everything, of all the gifts, but it's certainly a good place to start. And again, just really encourage you to come and to talk to one of the elders, talk to someone in leadership, or to a brother and sister in Christ about these things. But just don't let it lie. Let us each come before the Lord and say, Father, I want to serve you in the fullness of what you have done in my life and in my heart. So please direct me in those steps. So encourage everyone to look at this. Just a note here, God has gifted his people with an expression of his Holy Spirit to support his vision and mission of the church. It is a worldwide vision to reach all people with the gospel of Christ. As a servant leader... God desires that we know how he gifted us. This will lead us to where he would have us serve as part of his vision and mission for the church. For the very last part of this, uh, which we won't need to go through today, although it will be a part again, this is going to be our complete uh, class upon uh, new membership, and those interested in hope will be to walk them through the next steps uh, that would lead to church membership. So with that, uh, we do have some time here. Just would ask if there's any questions, I always feel like I've gone really fast. but does anybody have any questions concerning pertaining to this? Or actually, if something's been on your mind from some of the other lessons, I know it's been a while you could ask those. So just our comments, if you don't have a question. Does that mean nobody understood or How many elders should there Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let me look at my notes. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I think, and this is off the top of my head, Brett. It's a good question. I think it depends upon the makeup of the church because, really, an elder – you know we use that term, and I don't. I don't take it lightly. I take it very seriously. An under shepherd of Christ, it's someone, a man, human, totally, completely human. But it depends upon the ministries and how those ministries are overseen, and what type of leadership they need. So, uh, I've been. You know, you go to some really large churches and they have thirty elders, and some smaller churches have don't have elders <laughs> that's when you get a little nervous when they don't have elders so good good question though I'm glad you asked it. Things that's such a joy for me to see here at Hope, is is we as going through these points, we expect and, and look for our elders to teach and to preach, but Hope is unique, I think, in a much such a glorious way because our elders encourage any of the men that want to teach. We have summer in the Psalms. I think it's it's so. Such a blessing because it's for men who think, teach, stand in that public. I don't know if I can do that, but here we're encouraged to come and uh, and to walk in that and see if the Lord is called to that role at least. So again, so we're really, um, yeah, I love hope. <laughs> so, and
1: have
0: an in, small groups. in small groups, right, Phil? Well, it is important to walk along with an elder, you know, and just let him disciple those who endeavor to do that and and to gain support as well. So, yeah. Is there anything else? Well, bless you. Uh, You know, please, I know this has kind of been a little broken up because missed a couple weeks there, but please, if things come to mind concerning this whole package of this uh, What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Well, that's a a great question. I've spoken to Pastor Ed about that. You know, I don't, I don't, Ed, could you address that? And it's really a great question.
1: The annual thing doesn't work no matter what they think or say. <laughs> yeah. What well, if you cannot come that one time of, of the year to yeah. church? Right? Yeah, what yeah. That was the last yeah. sure. yeah. yep, teacher told me one time when the scripture is not very clear on what to do about the yeah. world uh, you don't want to put words in uh, yeah. And I guess each, each local body. there's there's a large large organization who who thinks they dispense the gospel every time they have the Lord's trouble. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, um, So going back to the the spiritual gifts and seeking discipleship on that, how does each member uh, seek out the discipleship
0: Well, I think uh, my suggestion would be uh, to get with the, the leadership team and just, um, you know, I think express, you know, if, if I'm reading your question correctly, so correct me if I'm not, <laughs> a zeal that's in your heart. So where do I go from this? You know, how do I pursue this gifting? Then I think it would just be really good to get with our elder body and to let them know of that interest and see how you might or anyone might begin to exercise that gift. Does that make sense to, yeah? Well, you don't have to be recognized to, be to do the search. servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and so that's the thing is that we want to serve him and glorify him so uh, I think it's just I think in in the long text thing you know the giver of these gifts is the spirit of God the spirit of God knows exactly what he's done in every one of his children that he's called to his own men and women and so I just would encourage all of us that think about that I said to to get with the elders and certainly do that, but come before the Lord and say, would you just make clear, you know, it's that wonderful picture we, we read from James. It's wisdom. Father, I need your, I ask for your wisdom to know what you would have of me. It's a glorious mission, I think, that we all should undertake. What will you have for me in this day, in this season of life, we do have different seasons, so anyway, great, great question. And appreciate the question about the Lord's Supper. I think it's really good. I think it's good and certainly Ed expressed that. You know, if others have a sense of that, I talked to Pastor Ed about it. <laughs> I came from a church we celebrated every week and we we did enjoy it. And I'll never forget a part of that and I know I shared with Pastor that day, is I had someone a couple that were had a daughter that walked away from Christ and said that what they loved about coming to the Lord's table every Sunday was that they were called to keep short accounts. It's where in Corinthians, Paul gives the sense that we're not to take of the Lord's elements in an unworthy manner. And we're called as a congregation to pause and to consider where we are before the Lord. I love our... I'm boasting in Ed, but I love the what the Lord's done in you pastor. He calls us to this, when we come to the table. consider where you are. if there's unrepentant sin, let the elements go past. Certainly if you don't know Christ, let them go past. And so I love the question. keep short accounts. so <laughs> I'm not pushing for this but <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sorry, and so part of even having opportunities to hear what are the questions that gets the elders thinking in terms of what, what does our congregation sure. need? I mean, uh, and what you know these all things that we can revisit then and consider. So, yeah. good.
0: No more hands. <laughs> okay. Well, if you would uh, let me. Pray if you would join with me as we close. Our precious Father, uh, our wonderful Lord and God, how amazing is your love that you've uh, displayed toward us through your precious Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, to consider uh, the state of our souls outside of Christ is frightening and sobering indeed. So how thankful we are as we come as brothers and sisters in Christ to look to him, to your son, to look at this price that was paid. He didn't He didn't steer away from going to that cross. He didn't steer away from the condemnation that was cast toward him on this earth by man. But he set his face as a flint to that cross. So, Lord, as we have talked about this morning, uh, kind of, ended with this sense of how to serve you and how to honor you. Just may we consider the price that's been paid. We have been purchased with a price, a cost that's incomprehensible to our understanding, and yet your son was willing to pay that to redeem us. So, Father, we just pray that, Lord, that our hearts may be to serve him, to glorify him, to honor him. And, Lord, pray for our leadership here. Uh, Lord, I... Trust I can speak for all of us. We feel so blessed of you. Lord, may you continue to keep them, these men, our elders, our deacons. May you uh, watch over them. Make your hand of grace be upon them, Lord. Lead them in the path that you have for them individually and their family and certainly for your church in this place. So we're so thankful for your amazing work of grace that continues in our life. Just pray, Lord, that uh, all that we do, as that wonderful verse says, that it may bring glory and honor to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.